turn and I'm just going to read in John the 10th chapter and the 10th verse. The thief comes not but for to steal. Notice that? The thief comes. And he never stops coming, by the way. The thief never stops coming against Christ in us and who we are in him. The thief comes not for only one reason, to steal, to kill. And I want us to look at this word, to destroy, to destroy. Jesus said, I am the great I am in John 8, 58. The great I am in Exodus 3 and verse 14. He said, I am come that they might have life. That's potential. That's experience. We have it positionally. This is experiential. That, I'm, that you might have life. That intimate exchange of that love life that nothing can disturb or distract. And that they might have it in even a more abundant way. Psalmist said in Psalm 23 and verse 5, my cup overflows. Did you know that everything that God has given you and me is not just about ourselves? It's about others. It's about others. Everything about our life is Christ. And when it is, it's others. And he lovingly takes care of us. I want us to look at that word, destroy, for a moment. You destroy it. The Hebrew calls this word abaddon, A-B-A-D-D-O-N. This is what that word means. It means destroyer. That's why the word says in Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from all their destructions. And you picture a child, picture a child that has swallowed something and they don't know the dangers thereof. They don't know. It hasn't had its effect yet. But the parents know better. And off they go. They quickly take the child and it shakes it, the child and, and calls the ambulance. The ambulance come, takes the child, hooks them up to all these things and whiffs them off to the hospital. And they think all these things are against them when the parents know and can perceive far more than the child does what's needed, what's needed. And we need that. We need to cut out the, the sword of the spirit and in Hebrews, uh, which takes, it's the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and showing them unto us. And, and uh, the, we see it in Hebrews 4, 12. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Know how the flesh does not like to be cut or pierced in any way. If I have peace in me, if Christ is the measure of my peace, he is in Ephesians 2 and verse 14 and Colossians 1 and verse 20. Then in Psalm 119, 165, I have great peace. Nothing will cause me to stumble. Nothing. And even if what was preached wasn't against an area of the flesh in me, would it still be for me? Would it still be? Would I know enough that that could be something that could protect me in the future? And it could be. He's a bad one, the destroyer. He is the destroying angel. And you know what an angel is? It's a messenger, and they have a message. Satan has a message for the believer. He wants to destroy them experientially because he cannot touch the position. And then it's in the Hebrew, it's called the place of destruction. 
And the place of destruction is who Satan is, the enemy, personified. You see that in Ephesians. Listen, Ephesians 4.26. I want to bring this out. When the word comes, does it bring out a fleshly anger in you or in me? Well, Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know what that speaks of? That if there's areas of issues in you that was fleshly anger and you were convicted by the Holy Spirit, you should go to that person and not before you go to bed, <laughs> before you try to lay down and rest. Because if you don't, and I don't, in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, you give place to the devil. You give up your place. And he is that place experientially. What is he? He's a destroying angel. What does he want to do? Destroy unity. Destroy oneness. Destroy between the pupil and the teacher. To destroy. That's what he's doing. He becomes that place. And when I give up the place of obedience and submission in Hebrews 13, 17, and in 1 Peter 5, 5, and 6, when I do, when I give up that place experientially, I give place to Abaddon. Abaddon. Here's the other thing about Abaddon that we want to see here, this destroying angel, as opposed to Jesus Christ. This is what we want to see here. And I'm going to read here from 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. I want you to see that you can see the flow of this, and we don't have all the time to read up into these particular verses here. But in 2 Peter, the first chapter, read up on your own if you, when you have the time, and God will make it to be something that you can have. Read up to, through to the 15th verse. But here's what it said, and this is the Holy Spirit taking the word and revealing it to us this morning. Moreover, in verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, after, and this is Peter saying it to those that he was teaching, after I leave, and it's my time, and I'm put to sleep, my physical body, by Jesus, and my spirit returns to God that gave it in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7. This is what he said, that I want you to have these things in remembrance. These things in remembrance. What kind of a relationship would you have with your child if you didn't discipline her lovingly or him lovingly? What kind of a relationship? In that exchange of that relationship, there's going to be beautiful times, times that you're going to have a beautiful time. Other times when there's going to be rebellion and stubbornness that has to be dealt with. But you still do it in love, but in strong terms at times because it's love and it's conviction in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. Now here is the, here's the issue. If you don't remember those things that were given to all of us through vessels, Hebrews 13, 7, Hebrews 13, 17, for we, in verse 16, we, those that are Christ, have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, but we, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now this is, this is what happens to all of us in our growth and our capacity. We start out in salvation in 1 John 2, 12, we're babes. Then as we grow, 
grow into manhood. Please keep in mind, the scriptures make it clear, you don't reach manhood till the age of 30 to 40. Young men. And then you become with a greater understanding of grace and truth through trials and through failures and, and so forth, but through God's love and his loving conviction, you become a spiritual father. Well, the father has much more spiritual perception than the young man, just like the young man would have more than the babe. And so here, this is what it's teaching, that these spiritual fathers, not because they're any better, but they have a greater understanding of the word, much greater, because they have become eyewitnesses of the majesty that's revealed through the scriptures and through, obviously, through a, a number of years of studying them. And of course, our study involves, whether you're a spiritual dad or not, uh, that study involves you learning, and this is where we get the, the uh, word in the Septuagint, which is, takes the Hebrew and brings it over into the Greek, that word understanding, meaning you learn by the sins and failures and mistakes of others and your own, and your own. But they don't cease to be your teacher because, it, because again, we don't choose who's going to do that. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God, the Father, honor and glory. Do you see that? Honor and glory. He himself, in the most unique way, but obviously giving it to us in John 17, 22. Giving it to us through oneness in John 17, 11, 21 and 22. He has honor. Honor always speaks of value. Esteem in Philippians 2.3, esteeming others better than yourself, means you value them. And it's not that you equate them with yourself or yourself becomes less. You just esteem them with honor and the glory of the position of where they are. And it says to him, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. <laughs> the excellent glory is the father declaring to the son. He did this in Matthew 3 and verse 16 and 17, and he did it again on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and verse 5. But you see those first five verses down through, that the issue with each of us is Jesus Christ. That's the issue. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, submit to him, listen to him. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. And you can do this in a greater degree as a spiritual father. More than, more than young men, and of course more than babes. Which we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. Of course, we're not saying anything like that. Pastors and teachers today are anything like the apostles in a special way. But we still have that excellent glory and honor by Christ being in us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, based upon Colossians 1 and verse 27. We have him. In whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. You take heed to the word. Because prophecy is still used by the Holy Spirit. And that speaks of judgment of those that function on the earth, of course, our position is heaven, but we're, we're, we're in the world system, and, but we're not of it in John 17, 14, and, and 16. Of course, Christ wasn't, neither are we. 
But that comes, this comes very clearly here and brings it out that we have a more sure word of prophecy, meaning that it was all about you look at the nation of Israel and how they continue to function in rebellion, stubbornness, and disobedience against Moses, who was the type of Christ, but as their leader. They stoned the prophets. They didn't want to hear the truth. Of course, none of us will when we live in the flesh to this day, and this day of the church. This day of the church right now, God is gathering out from out of the world system and placing them into the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. But that's teaching us. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 16 and verse 5, what he was teaching again through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit through him as a vessel in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and the 6th verse and the 11th verse. We're to learn by those things. That's prophecy, judgment, judgment. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That's the word that God gives us through the counsel of the word as his heavenly people. And we shouldn't rebel and resist. And any of us should never develop nasty attitudes in our hearts. None of us should. None of us should. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Render you do well to take heed as into a light. The light, the scriptures, the counsels, the teaching of the word. Unto a light that shines in a dark place. What's the dark place? It's either ignorance or stubbornness or rebellion. Where the enemies come in and he's functioning as a bad on, destroyer. He wants to destroy. First, he wants to destroy our personal relationship with, with Christ. And then he wants to destroy other relationships with the body of Christ. He has a way of doing that. The way he does it is we give up, we give in to fleshly anger in Ephesians 4 and verse 26. And when we do, we give Satan place. Topos, T-O-P-O-S. Topos, we give him place. Experientially now, what do we experience? The destroyer, death, separation, separation. Again, these things are very vital for us in the counsel that God's giving us this morning. A light that shines in uh, in a dark place until the day dawns. And that the day dawning there is finally when I, we submit to the truth. When we submit to it. In Ephesians 5 and verse 13 and 14. Because 5.13, whatsoever does make manifest or discovers areas of darkness in us is light. Then he says, wake up, you that sleep. Sleep in what? In the passivity of death. The destroyer. Now, this destroyer here, we can see this very clearly. Again, until the day star, the day dawn, and the day star arise in your minds. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not. Any, any counsel, it's not private interpretation. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians there, said, I thank God that when you received the word, you didn't receive it as the word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of the Lord, the word of Christ, that works effectually in you when you believe it, when you depend upon it and don't fight it and don't argue inwardly, inwardly. Because that, the, the, the murmuring and the complaining in Philippians 2 and verse 14, is that that the enemy uses to go against Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Stop working out experientially your own salvation. Stop reverencing 
Work out your own salvation, your whole Christian life, with a reverence and a trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and in and to do of his good pleasure. Then you do all things without murmuring or disputing. Murmuring is the thought life. Sooner or later, when the murmuring in the mind is not dealt with, now you have to confess it to someone else. And that's outward confession. It becomes a profession and not a proper confession. And, and we know that in Hebrews 4.29 and 30. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and thereby you will stop, you will grieve the Holy Spirit and stop him from revealing Christ in your experience. In Ephesians 4 and verse 30. So the word the scriptures is given is not of any private interpretation. I'm not going to privately interpret the counsel that God's given me. None of us should. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. His own choices. The babe making their own choices. The young man making their own choices. And unfortunately, spiritual fathers can do that too. Well, it didn't come in old time by the will of men, but holy men, holy men, their behavior, their conduct was equal to the character that they have in Christ. And this is again, 1 John 1, verse 7. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the moving there for us today is the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14. Taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us. Will he show them to the flesh? Can he? Answer Romans 8, 4 through 8. He cannot. Because the flesh has strong, settled feelings, uh, initiation of evil, destroying thoughts, and, and evil, unchangeless feelings of hatred against God. That's the flesh that's in us. That's where Jesus spoke in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. That's Hebrews 4, 12. Separating the soul from the spirit. And it's a fine line. It's a fine instrument. It's a very fine instrument instrument in the hands of the skilled physician. They spoke by God. It wasn't any private interpretation. When I live in the flesh, even the word that I hear, the enemy will come in and cause me to live by private interpretation. I think I know enough of the word and I can discern how people live or what they think or how they think about me. Well, here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy, we said in John 10, 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, how does he do that? I'm going to tell you how he does it. It's very simple. This is how he does this, okay? He has an, an, an evil genius devised plan for each and every unsaved person and each and every one that are Christ. He has a devised plan. Evil genius. Evil genius. I may know the word yesterday. But boy, do I need specific counsel today because I don't know where the temptation or the evil is going to come from, but God does. And if my will isn't submitted, if I'm not entreatable, then can I receive it? Can I receive it? Here's the word devised. I want to, here, just the English. I'm not even going to get into the Greek today. Okay? And by the way, in the English language, there are well over 300 words that entered into the English language through the Greek language. So some of us, without even realizing it, speak 
over 300 words that we use in the Greek. <laughs> now, here's the word devise, and this is Satan, how he devises a specific plan. And I'm going to talk specifically for believers this morning. It is contrived. It is planned. It is invented. It is designed. Now, even, for instance, even in the law, when you go to court about pro property, about property, this is what it says. Here it is. The law of property is assigned or transmitted by will. So in other words, if I'm going to inherit something, and this goes into Romans, the seventh chapter, bringing out clearly in those first 10, 12 verses, clearly, and it's about marriage in that sense. But for us to have a will, to function in the inheritance of a will, Christ had to die. And we inherited him. And by that, he inherited us. So whose property are we? Are we our own? I mean, I can choose to think the way I want. No. Our temple is the body of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, where the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and shows them unto the entreatable, humbled one. We're not our own. We were bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. A whole spirit, soul, and body in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 were bought, owned by Christ and given to the Father as the Father gave them to the Son. Again, we see this in John the 17th chapter in those 26 verses there. And you can see the beautiful flow of that. So it is this. It's the simple the simple past tense. This can be used, okay, this word devised, Satan's plan, okay, and what it goes into, the moment that he fell in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, he took all those other angels with him in Revelations 12 and verse 4, the tail of the dragon to a third of the innumerable stars of heaven, and the stars there were the sons of God in the Old Testament, and those were angels. Now, we are the sons of God now. Through, through the birth of Jesus Christ, that through receiving him is our life. But they're sons of God then. And here, the simple past is bringing out that Satan, when he fell, is the father of all lies in John 8 and verse 44. He fell. He fell, Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He fell, and now he has the five eye wills. All these five I wills against the grace of Almighty God, the grace and truth that Christ is in us. There's five there. And we see that in Isaiah 14, 9 through 17. We see it. And that word also, again, it's a simple past tense in eternity. This happens. And then it is what? And it is a past participle. A past participle. What's a participle? Here's what a participle is. It's an adjective or complement to certain auxiliaries. And what's an auxiliary? Something that's associated with something else. And now it's to certain auxiliaries that is regularly derived from the verb, and a verb always speaks of action, from the verb in many languages and refers to, listen to this, participation in the action or state of the verb. When I live in disobedience, we live unto him experientially. We participate in his action of hatred against God. 
That's the flesh. That's what gets irritated in us. There's no irritation in the grace and truth that Christ is. Yes, he knew what was in man in John 2, 24 and 25, but he didn't commit himself to man. What he did in his work, he committed himself to the Father. John 8, 29, Romans 15, 3. He always did those things that please the Father. Always did. No one has to see this this morning. We participate in that action. When I'm irritated or when I become suspicious or irritated, well, this person just wants me to do this because it's something about themselves. Really? Boy. Okay? You begin to participate in the action or state of the verb. Now, in Ephesians 6.11, in Ephesians 6.11, there's the wiles of Satan that come against us. That's where we get our English word method. It's methodia in the Greek. It's where we get method. It's his, his wiles. And what his wiles are, are this. And the war is against the mind. Against what I know to be true. Or maybe I'm ignorant of it and I still resist it. I resist it because I think I understand things as a babe and as a young man. Maybe, and maybe not. Well, and that's a strategy. Did you know the enemy has a strategy, a plan that was devised that he has against us and he uses it? He's not everywhere present like our precious Lord is. He's not everywhere present. God inhabits eternity in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. The enemy can't, but he has an innumerable angelic evil host that are at his command, his beck and command. And it's, an e and it's a devised plan, and it's a strategy. Here's the word strategy. You want us to see this. It's a plan of action or policy designed, and remember, designed is like devised, something that was divined, designed or devised by the enemy. It, his strategy, again, it's a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major or overall aim. What is the aim of the enemy coming against us? When he wants to convince us that those that teach the word are those who are against us. Who is against us? Who is against us? The enemy, the destroyer. That's who's against us. Then it becomes this. It's an art. An art, it's like an art or a way of a strategy or devised divine art. And that is his wiles in Ephesians 6.11. And that is the art of planning, listen to this, and directing overall military operations in movements in a war or battle. We wrestle not against blood and flesh. Ephesians 6.12. I have this issue with this person. Really? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God in 2 Corinthians 10. 4. Casting down, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? A stronghold. I am not going to give up this area. Not going to give it up. Why? Because your will and my will would have been taken captive by the enemy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. And by that, he would use that will, our own will, unsubmitted, so that we would oppose ourselves. Because God is for us in Romans 8 and verse 31 and Psalm 56 and verse 9. He's for us. He's nothing but for us. We need to shake sometimes. We do. We do. 
All of us do. I do. Now, this word strategy here is often contrasted with tactics. It's a plan and that tactic that the enemy comes against us, which has been devised and designed as a strategy and coming out in certain tactics, certain place, time, and so forth, is a plan for military operations and movements during a war or Satan's war. What is Satan's war based upon? Rebellion and hatred against his creator. And so he's in battle against it. And he wants the Christian because he can't change the position of being in Christ. He goes after the experience to steal, kill, and destroy through being a bad end and to cause us to battle <laughs> against God and against others. When are we going to, when are all of us going to stop the blame game? Well, I'm suspicious and I'm irritable because of this person. No, you're not. We said it the other day for all of us. Matthew 15, 16 to 20. Mark 7, 24, uh, uh, 7, 14 to uh, 23. It's not that that goes into a man that defiles a man. It's, it's that that comes out, that defiles a man. So in other words, even if a message wasn't specifically for me in an area, could it still be used to draw out something in me that could be suspicious or irritable and function in hatred? Absolutely. This is true for every single one of us. Spiritual fathers, young men, babes, for every single one of us. Every single one of us. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, this is what this is bringing out. We do not war after the flesh. Get in fleshly battles. I didn't like what was said. I don't like what was traded. Don't they know who I am and what I do? And I'll stop it for any of us. We don't do anything that we didn't allow Christ himself as the treasure to be re released through that vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And that's what makes us think sometimes we've done enough. We don't have to do anymore. Well, out goes the intimate experience because of a lack of uh, obedience for any of us. We do not war after the flesh. The battle is the Lord's. Stand still. What does that mean in Exodus 14, 13? Stand still. Be teachable. Be humble. Be submissive. And watch the peace that you always have. Stand still. And when you do, and that's humility, then you will see the deliverance of the Lord. You will see it. For the battle is the Lord's. In Exodus 14, 14, Deuteronomy 1, 29 and 30. The battle is the Lord's in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. And if it's the battle of the Lord and he's doing the battling, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, if he is, now you go forward. You don't stop, have to stop and try to figure things out in a fleshly war in your mind. You have needs to be cast down, all that false reasoning in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. You don't war. Then you go forward in Exodus 14 and verse 15. And believe me, if you're a leader in any sense or an initiator in any sense, if you don't go forward, those that should go forward with you, neither do also. Neither do also. Now, that's why it's said 
in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18, that we might war a good warfare. What's a good warfare? Us submitting and letting Christ do the battling. That brings in James 4 and verse 6. That's what it says. God resists the proud, the suspicious one, the irritated one. God resists the proud. Don't blame others. God resists the proud. God, Theo or Theos, resists Antitasso, the proud, Huperophanos. But, nay, he gives greater, Karine or Charis from Charis, greater grace to those that are submitted in humility. Then you will draw an eye to God. Then you'll submit yourself to God. Then he will resist the devil in warfare against you. Then you can draw an eye to God. And then you need, all of us, need to have our hands, hands cleansed. What do we do with our hands, with what God gives us when we're not submitted? Everything becomes about self. I don't care what we say. Oh, we're doing it for your family. No, listen. Listen, let me, listen, for all of us. Made it clear in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God. What's a kingdom? He rules. Seek you first the kingdom of God. His order. You do not put family first. You put God first. Now your family's in the right order. Because then you won't be disturbed or you won't be marimnos. And 634 of Matthew, anxious about everything. Anxious, suspicious, and irritated. Anxious, suspicious, and irritated. That's the flesh. You might war a good warfare. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18. Then, here we have this. This is what goes on with us. This is exactly what can go on with us and does, by the way, in all of us, in all of our growth. Okay, and this is, this is uh, James, the fourth chapter. Okay, now, from where come wars? From where do these wars come from? These fleshly wars that a Christian has in his own mind or that he has against another. Where do they come from? I want... God wants to give us clear definition this morning, crystal clear. From where come wars and fightings, quarrelings? Again, murmuring, and then disputing, confessing it. In other words, borrowing someone's ear that you say you love, and you throw up in their ear. That's what you do. And you call that love, or I would call that love, or God would. These quarrelings and these false reasonings in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, that are among you as Christians. And fightings, quarrelings among you, come they not hence even of your own lusts? No, it's their fault. That's why I'm suspicious and irritated. It's their fault. No, it's not. None of us. No. No. Come they not from your own lusts? Their own lust, Genesis 3, 1 to 6. 1 John 2, 15, loving the world and then bringing in those lusts in 2, 16 of 1 John. That war in your members. I wonder where we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is only your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, you can, so that God can prove to you what is that good, perfect, and complete will of God in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's very simple. And very, very simple here. 
And so you lust and have not. Why? You lust and have not. Why? Because it's insatiable. It's never satisfied. You replace the treasure that Christ is in you with anything else. You put anything ahead of him. It's wrong. It's wrong. And that thing you think you need will never meet your need, but you'll continue to go back to it, just like the little doggy returns to the vomit. 2611 of Proverbs. This will keep going back. You lust and have not. You kill. And you know what kill is? It's envy. You envy others now. You envy. You even you call someone a fool. It's in, in God's eyes, in the eyes of Christ, it's murder. Read that in Matthew 5, 28, 29. You say, Raka, you fool. That was foolish. Who do they think they are? Oh, boy. Wow. Deliver us, all of us, Lord. You, you kill, you envy, and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you don't ask. And why? Because will God take the grace and truth of his son and give it to us in the flesh? God would give me grace to live in sin. I can take the scriptures in one area, but in another area I live in sin, and I'll still use those? In Romans 6, 1 and 15, God forbid he does. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That you may consume it upon your lusts, your passions, those things that you desire. You adulteresses. You can, if you see adulterers with the word adulteresses in any translation, cross out adulterers. Always in the original Koine Greek New Testament, it's adulteresses. Because he is our bridegroom and we are his bride we go out on him you go into the world and become susceptible and being seduced by doctrines that demons teach they teach you and they'll even use the word to tell you why you can live in areas of disobedience in first timothy 4 1 and 2 second timothy 3 1 to 13 we see these things clearly here you adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity, strong, settled feelings of hatred. Enmity here is enmity in Romans 8, 7. That is in the flesh that's in the Christian that is anti-God. Jesus said in Matthew 12, uh, verse 30, and Mark 9, and verse 40, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not, husbands, initiators, he that gathers not scatters abroad. And he that is with us is on our part, in Mark, Mark 9, verse 40. That the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Oh, help us, Lord. Again here, those are the lusts in James 4.1 that war against your members. You'll see this again. We said Romans 12, 1 and 2, Romans 8, 13, Colossians 3 and verse 5. Clearly brought out. Clearly. And then again in James 4, 2, you fight in war, yet you don't have. You don't have. And these lusts in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, are they that war against the soul. To keep the soul, self-consciousness, from giving over to God-consciousness. Obedience to the word. Obedience to the word in Hebrews 4, 12. 
or to the flesh, giving over to the flesh, giving it over to what? The fleshly mind. That's what, it's, that's what Romans 8, 4 through 8 teaches. Either you have the minding of the spirit, teaching you constantly through submission, independence, all those things that who Christ is and what he's accomplished for you as an individual, or you would c- completely have a minding of the flesh. This is what needs to be separated in all of us in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And if it's not, then I go into battle. They think everybody's against me. Oh, that was preached because it's against me. Look. If God deals with my areas, me, Ed, if he deals with my areas of the flesh, is he dealing with who I am in Christ? No. He's dealing with what I'm not. Where Christ doesn't have place positionally, but in my experience, he doesn't have, he's been misplaced. And that's Hebrews 4, that's uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Those are marked off areas where he knows we can cause us to live in absolute disobedience. And why does he do this as we begin to close this. Why does he do this? And I am bringing up some Greek words, and this is a Greek New Testament. It's Greek, and I'm translating it into the English because because of Christ, because of a gift that he's given me, and it's a pure gift and not of any natural intelligence at all, has to be received. And the enemy is the destroyer. Why? Because he wants us to function as little adokimoses. And what is that? Failing to pass the test. Here's the word. Is everything that you have, and you can trust me. Failing to pass the test, then I become unapproved and I'm counterfeit. Romans 12, 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Listen, let love be. Let love be without pretending. We get offended. I've often said this, and it's something I have to learn continually with us all. If you get offended by something, who should you go to first? Tell me who you should go to. You go to God. Then you go to that person and that person alone. You don't talk to honey or wifey or anybody else. Okay? You just don't do that. That's not proper initiation. It's not. Then you allow, if you do it to honey or wifey, then you allow her to be deceived by the enemy when you know better. She may not because she's the weaker vessel in 1 Peter 3. And you see those first six verses. She's a weaker vessel. She is. And for all of us. And we are, in this sense, his bride, the weaker vessel. But let the weak say in Joel 3.10, 2 Corinthians 12, I am strong through the grace that he pours out. Grace heaped up upon grace in John 1 and verse 16. So as we close this here, we see this very, very clearly that those lusts, which war against your soul. You have this fleshly mind. And then, so the enemy wants us to function experientially. Cannot change our position. Listen, sin doesn't affect my position in Christ, but it affects my experience. This is where the destroyer comes against his sheep, us. Some don't like it. The hyperdispensationalist doesn't like being called the sheep. Well, we're a lot like them, believe me, in those four things that sheep can't do. So that now, instead of functioning as adolos, A-D-L-O-S, unadulterated and pure in Christ experientially, we function in the bondage of the lust of the flesh that the enemy uses to destroy us. And what does that lead to? This is why, this is what is the result of this. The result of this here is uh, Krates. 
A-K-R-A-T-E-S. We become impotent. We don't have power. Through is Christ our power that we're kept by? 1 Peter 1 5. Is Christ the power and wisdom of God? In 1 Corinthians 1 24. Has, he given, has God given us a spirit of fear? In 2 Timothy 1 7. No, but of power and love and a very well disciplined mind. So here, a great days means I'm impotent. I don't have power. There's no power in the flesh. It doesn't profit anything in John 6 63, Romans 7 18. Lacking self-control. Self is not under the control of the Holy Spirit taking the word of Christ and bringing it into a proper experience. Lacking self-control, then what I become? I become inclined to excess. All these other lust patterns that are insatiable. And they all try to replace the treasure that Christ is, who is absolutely irreplaceable. Then where does that leave me? Am I experiencing eleutheria? The Greek word eleutheria, E-L-E-U-T-H-E-R-I-A, freedom. 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 You become a disciplined learner in John 8 and verse 31. Amethetes, you're a pupil. You need, we're all pupils, but in proper order in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. We all need to be taught. We don't rebuke an elder in 1 Timothy 5, 1. Not even in our thought life or in murmuring inward thoughts. You don't do it. And if they need to be corrected, who's going to do the correcting? The only one that can. So there's a no freedom. There's no liberty. There's no state of freedom from slavery. The slavery of the flesh. The slavery of the enemy. John 8 verse 34. He that commits sin is the slave of it. Slave of Satan. Disobedience. And sin is disobedience. And sin, by the way, there's not a difference between weakness and sin and evil. Weakness has nothing to do with sin. I'm weak. My potential is to receive grace and have power or to sin. And in Psalm 51 and verse 4, sin is evil. And there's no such thing as a difference between the two. No such thing at all. Then we can function as Jesus Christ Eleutheros, E-L-E-U-T-H-E-R-O-S. We function free. We become a discipline through humility, constant humility independence. A disciple of Christ, in the way that he does it today in Ephesians 4.11, and does so in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. It's the way he does it today. That's his choice. The vessels are those that he chooses. No vessel chooses himself. (laughs) And we don't have the right to choose who we think should be our vessel. In both cases, it doesn't work that way. Because all you would be trying to do is escape, or you would want to add someone else to hear someone else because you don't want to hear what one is telling you, by the way. So I need someone else. When that someone else has said something totally different. It's very interesting how that works. So I'd be, and now I'm a free man. I'm a free man. You will know the truth in John 8, 32, and the truth will set you free. There has to be a severing in Hebrews 4, 12 of the soul, self-conscious living in the flesh and God-conscious living in Christ. Free, the opposite of 
being enslaved or captured will. Then when I function, I function as this. Eleutheruo. Listen, this is E-L-E-U-T-H-E-R-O. That's, a, a, that's the um, Omicron in the Greek, O, short. And another O, Omega, long O. That's how we pronounce it. Then you become this Eleutheruo. A, I am free. I'm set free. I'm liberated from the confines of the flesh. I become, are we untouchable in 1 John 5, 18 in our position? Yes. When Christ enters the experience through submission and humility, then my experience becomes untouchable. Then we've become that. But until that happens, until that happens, until it does, we follow, we follow again here, and I'm going to close with this. This is what we follow. And this is what it is. This is our only option. Our only option is obedience or disobedience. Every circumstance, every single situation. In Second Peter 1 and verse 16, this is where we started. This is where we'll end. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And God is giving us the substance and the light to be eyewitnesses with him. Every one of us. And what a privilege. And Father, we thank you so much for your love. For your love that constantly protects us. Through constant dependence. Constant humility. Without an ounce of suspicion. Without an ounce. Without an ounce. Not even a little bit of irritation. Because irritation would be that that would reveal to us in the light of who Christ is in us, that in some way there's the flesh entering in. Father, we just thank you so much for your love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.